So we're joined uh, on the phone now by uh, Marcus Legrand. Marcus is the uh, Pathways and Career Coach, as well as a professor out at COCC. And we uh, will be discussing the February 18th City Club of Central Oregon Forum, titled Central Oregon is Central Oregon as Welcoming as We Think. Also, the great story of Marcus's grandmother. Marcus, thank you for joining us this morning. Let's talk about, so we've got this forum coming up next Thursday, the 18th. Just for our listeners, so they get the get all the info right up front here, can you just tell us basically what's the forum, when is it, uh, just a quick nuts and bolts of the whole thing. Uh, yes, uh, City Club uh, asked us, me and myself and uh, three other um, panelists to be able to come and talk about some of the history of Oregon when it comes to its racist past. Um, it was great because there is a... If you go to their link, I believe there's a video that you can watch, and they basically talk about how from its inception until now, the racist history of Central Oregon and how they basically took the ceded land from the Native Americans here, as well as they talk about the great migration that came this way as well, Many uh, where many uh, African Americans were not welcome. He was talking about the um, Chinese internment camps that was going on here as well and how they helped build Oregon. So it's just going to be a great opportunity to be able to discuss some of those things, but uh, finally be able to talk about what can we do from this moment forward. We can look at our past, but we don't want to uh, continue to have the same ideology to be able to uh, change the things we have. I think ultimately what they're saying is, if you, like you said, you can do repeat history. If you do repeat history, guess what's happened? You're going to have the same concerns, right? So we want to try to change that narrative. It's ultimately what we're trying to do. Okay. Uh, all right, so that that sounds uh, that sounds great, and I think that video you talked about it has a great title: "Premeditated Uniformity: The Untold Racial mm-hmm. History of Central Oregon." And you can find all that stuff at the City Club website, uh, which is cityclubco.org. Um, and it's next Thursday at um, noon, I believe, February eighteenth. So, yeah. Marcus, uh, if you want to jump into the, the the sort of the welcoming uh, aspect. Uh, and I don't know if we want to, I guess the first question I thought is, what does it mean for a community to be welcoming? Uh, for me, is when you move to a location, you have some of the things that you had when you were maybe in a different location. See, I came from um, Michigan when I left here, when I left there. And coming from Michigan, you had a little bit more cultural relevant stuff that was happening. And I think sometimes, and I've, I've said this before, I think sometimes we took uh, the diversity for granted because we weren't the catalyst of it. And we were the ones who just partook in a lot of stuff that happened. We may be engaged in certain ways, maybe when our jobs or maybe we took our families to certain festivals, you know, some of Juneteenth festivals, Black History celebrations, and some other things that we did throughout throughout the year. But I think ultimately, when you come to a location like here, you're looking for those things. You're looking for black and brown businesses so you can support them. Uh, you're looking for festivals to be able to go to. You're looking for ways your family can engage and still um be able to be a part of the various things you were doing when you were in those other locations. Now that we're here, we're looking for those same things, but now since we may not have them, let's build them. And I think we're looking to find the ways to make sure that if you know black and brown business here in central Oregon, where they listed, how can we uh, be able to um, partake in what they have to offer, um, make sure that we know who they are, but, the thing we have to combat is to make sure that they're not being attacked, especially with a lot of the racial uh, tension that we've had here in the, uh, in the country for uh, for the last few years. 
especially with a lot of the deaths of a lot of African Americans being shot by police, all those different things. We have to look and feel, do we still feel welcome? Do we want to be a part of this community and change the way we look at things? So ultimately what we're saying is we're here, we're not going anywhere, we want to be a part of this, but let's work on this together collaboratively to make sure that we have a welcoming community so everyone feels that they can be a part of this community. Okay. Can you talk a little about what Central Oregon has done uh, to try to be more welcoming? And then I guess how much success have we achieved here? I think what is happening is that uh, many of the um, younger people, as well as the uh, BIPOC community or BILIPOC community, whatever you like to say, has started to realize that we need to mobilize and come together. There's many organizations that are trying to come together after the protests to try to make sure that uh, we are creating systems that are supportive of the black and brown people here in this community. Also, I think the city council has done a better job, especially with looking at the new members that have come on to try to find ways to make it more collaborative. Um, hopefully the police continues to work on different reforms that they have to try to find ways to practice hiring more black people of excuse me, people of color to be engaging. Uh, just look at how they can have responsiveness training. Let's look at trying to maybe look at the cahoots model. And I think that's going to be a, something that's going to come down the pipe as well in terms of trying to uh, be able to let's work with the police or work with mental health. I think a lot of different community organizations are also trying to find ways to work with disenfranchised students and their families to be engaging. Uh, organizations are trying to say, hey, uh, let's find resources from the governor's office all the way from Neighbor Impact and from just the many organizations that are out here to say, hey, we want to be very inclusive in our decision-making when it comes to uh, providing services for this this, uh, this, this area. Okay. Um, and so how much... I mean, how much success has been achieved so far? I know we have a ways to go, and we want to talk about that in just a second. But uh, how much success, I mean, have we made some progress? I think personally, yes, we have. I think when you look at just people being able to just come to the table and go, I don't know, it's awesome to hear. I don't know, what can we do? When you have... Uh, the chamber working with organizations that Ricardo, like Ricardo's, I think he's there in, in the studio with you guys are working with, are trying to work with internships where um, you look at organizations like uh, the one that I'm a part of the father's group. We're looking at trying to build after school program. And you look at Mecca Ben trying to provide for families, embrace Ben trying to provide for families, restorative justice and equity, working to work in the school systems, working with lead teachers and the superintendent to try to work on restorative practices for students. We have LCA, who's trying to do community outreach and help. When you have people like uh, Erica McAlpin doing her DEI um, lab at uh, Oregon State, working with different organizations, working with allyship who's doing a similar thing with organizations. Uh, when you're working, when you have organizations that are really taking the time to look at what it needs to be done and how we can make it happen, Oh my God, there's so many things going on. There's a, there's a brain trust that realizes that, hey, for us to get, have any equity within Central Oregon, we need to collaboratively work together to make that happen. We can't just sit on our hands. We can't just yell and scream and hold signs. We gotta, we gotta look at what policies need to change. What is, what, uh, access do we have to 
land and equity to be able to I mean, land, excuse me, land and other resources out here to make sure that we have a um, a place we all can not just congregate, but just try to be able to be a think tank and get things done. Um, you look at the places like the Haven that are very welcoming to be able to have organizations have meetings there. So there's so many different places here in Central Oregon are trying to do the right thing and trying to make sure that people feel welcome. I know there's a lot I probably could have named, probably a lot I probably forgot, but I know there's organizations out here doing stuff to make it happen. That's great. I think I just wanted to throw out a couple of abbreviations. The LCA is the Latino Community Association, uh, and DEI is Diversity, Equity, and... Um, Oh my God! Inclusion. Inclusiveness! Wow! <laughs> Inclusion. Uh, sorry about that. So I I have a lot of progress to make. Clearly, uh, <laughs> I knew that already. But uh, Ricardo, you had a question. Hi, Marcus. This is Ricardo. Uh, we've worked together and uh, had some conversations in the past. It's good to hear from you this morning. Um, where do you think Bend is failing in terms of becoming welcoming? Uh, I'm not going to say failing. I would say where they have not taken the time to engage. I always have said this, and I'm not trying to be flippant when I say this. I'm not trying to start a, any, 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 any strife. We always say students basically start the revolution, women organize it, and keep things going. And unfortunately, men, black and white, get all the credit. Where I think we need to have some changes that the men in our community need to really be more engaging be more responsive and try to find ways to be able to help. All right. I think that's where we need to because They're pretty much in a lot of the leadership positions. There are a lot of CEOs. There are a lot of the people who come up with solutions and have the resources to make, make change. I think they need to find ways to engage. Yes. I know, um, you know, me being a part of the father's group, I know West, what we're trying to do. We're trying to show, Hey, we're men who are out here trying to do things uh, to change that narrative. Uh, so people can see us in a different perspective because I don't want them to always think of us as a stereotype. And uh, Bruce, if you didn't know, um, the Father's Group is African-American led, but we do have members of other races that are part of the organization. So just want to let you know those are the type of things I'm talking about. Like, just don't, let's not just say, okay, hey, we're going to let someone else handle it. We're going to sit back and wait for it to happen. You want guys to jump in. Gentlemen, we, we can do this. Like, we be a part, listen to what our students and the women in this in this community are saying. And be respectful in when we do that. But that's the one thing, that's the one area I think we need to improve on. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a handful of gentlemen who are jumping in. Like, I, I see, um, I've had a lot of conversations with Eric King. I've had a lot of conversations with Bruce Abernathy and John Hummel and, and, and many other people we talked to. Also, Chief Pants, I've talked to a number of times. I've talked to the many men of the uh, peacekeepers as well. So all of us are trying to find ways to make this happen. Um, and I know some people may not like the fact that you talk to those people, but the thing you got to look at is for us to make change, you've got to be able to willing to reach out and conversate with one another. And I think that's the way it's going to happen. All right. Um, Steve, you look like you're... Oh, no. I Actually, all I would throw into that is that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth, is so that we can listen more. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's something, something to be said for that. So uh, I want us to, uh, if it's if it's okay with you, Marcus, to start moving on to our uh, our other discussion. But I do want to say that uh, you know Marcus' last comment was we need to get together and and have conversations. One way that's going to happen is this Thursday with the City Club Forum, February 18th. Is Central Oregon as welcoming as we think we are? 
Uh, go to the City Club website, cityclubco.org, and you can find out all the details about the time. It's it's uh, online, of course, a virtual conference. We're still doing those. So uh, you can join. I do not believe there's a fee, but I could be wrong about that. Marcus, do you know that? I don't, I don't believe so. I think it's free to the public. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I would just go to the City Club. I would just go to City Club website and check out um, the advertisement. It's under events, I believe, and you'll be able to find the information. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. It, on the City Club website, I think it's under forms and news. Also, I, I wanted to let you know that there is a way people can submit questions in advance, and you can find out about that on the website too. So you can submit a question uh, before the form even starts, which I I, I would encourage people to do. So, uh, Marcus. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before in little bits and pieces uh, about your uh, grandmother, who was uh, a very powerful activist in uh, North Carolina. So can you – and, of course, this is Black History Month, and so this is our own little piece of, of black history that's very close to us, right, that's uh, in lives, lives, lives in being here. Uh, so can you talk about your grandmother, what she did, all, the, all that stuff? Um, I think, personally, what she did for me – as a young man was that she showed me that um, civil engagement is necessary for us to make change. Um, I think she did a phenomenal job of making sure that people in my community and in the state of North Carolina were registered to vote and understand that there's different branches of the government and how they can function. And then number two, how they um, basically make a lot of the decisions and policies that we have uh, in, in our country. I think right now, you look at nowadays, most people focus on the presidency is the only election that happens. What she taught me is that you have to look at your local elections, your regional elections, and your state elections, because many of those representatives are the ones who are going to go back and make a lot of the decisions strictly for your community. What she also illustrated really well was that regardless of the circumstances and regardless of your environment, you have to engage. Prime example, when I was a young kid and we would have to help with voter registration. People used to get on us all the time, like, why are you here? Why are you helping? What my grandmother had us here engaging. Some of the racial strife we have to deal with with trying to get uh, black people, uh, black and brown people registered was always tough. And she just did her uh, job of making sure that everyone knew the rules to make sure they wouldn't be taken off uh, voter rolls. Uh, We used to also gather people going uh, from Sunday to church to be able to go vote on those days, and they've stopped a lot of those things. But she did a phenomenal job of just illustrating what it looks like to be a social activist. And I appreciated what she did. Um, as a kid, being able to go to Democratic and African national conventions, be able to go to regional conventions, and also have senators and congressmen and uh, even the governor in our backyard uh, having my grandmother's barbecue to be able to talk about, hey, how can we make various changes? Prime example, we didn't have paved roads in my town for a long time. She made that happen. We didn't have... Uh, stoplight or excuse me stoplights or even just um street lights she made that happen you know she made sure that we had after school programs for the black and brown students through the elementary and high schools uh she pushed for other reforms to make sure that uh, black and brown students uh when they were bused to school that they weren't dealing with a lot of racial prejudice or any other prejudice excuse me when they were going to school so she did a phenomenal job of just encouraging us to be engaging and that's, I think, why I fight so hard right now for so many students, because I learned at an early age what it looked like, how to structure it. And that propelled me to realize that my work is to serve the people. And that's what she always illustrated every single day, 
She didn't care what you looked like. She didn't care if you were disabled. She wanted to work with you in some kind of fashion just to give you a, a leg up on uh, anyone else. So my girl had eight kids. So think about it. She organized all this with eight kids. All of them went to college. All of them are doing something wonderful in the world. And I think uh, looking at that example every single day is something that I definitely marvel at. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Um, uh, the, the thought that's running through my head is that there should be a statue of her somewhere. Um, you know, right? Uh, that's just incredible. Can you, uh, just to, to, to give us a, uh, I know there's probably no way you can walk me through a typical day with your grandmother, but like, like how, would so, how would it look in terms of how she made all of these things happen? What were some of her um, little techniques or tricks? or Up, up early. Uh, yeah. down late uh, she was basically one of those ladies she was up at five in the morning uh, you had to get up you had to do stuff and we had a, we had a farm so you had to get up in the morning get all the farm work done before you went to school you had to come home from school now, remember this is from a grandson's point of view you had to come home from school because my mother's my mom was a single mom so I would come home had to do my homework homework had to be checked before I did anything else um, I couldn't turn on the TV couldn't do any of these things uh, after you you know, get your homework done. She would check it. If anything was wrong, you corrected it. Then you had to do stuff out in the field again. And then before you could do that, you had dinner. And then you could go to the park and play with your friends. Uh, you know, my friends were already there at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right after school. Well, me, I had to wait and do some other things. It was church on Wednesday, church on Friday, church on Saturday, church on Sunday. So she was very religious as well. So I had to do all those things, too. You had to teach Sunday school. She, had the, she did hair. She, um, oh my God, she organized so many different community things, but she made sure the family was involved. Like she, when she had a 4th of July uh, barbecue, she would start two days before and she would get everything organized, but all her, her sons, I mean, all of her um, kids would basically be involved in the process. So we, it got, you know, dulled out to us as younger uh, kids as well. So that was a typical day for her. I mean, my grandmother was Uber before Uber. She would drive people to work early in the morning if they didn't have a vehicle. She would uh, take their paychecks and hold it for them so they wouldn't spend it. Uh, there were so many different things my grandmother did that was phenomenal. And if you look at um, how she pushed the envelope to make change for our community, it was phenomenal. And, and, I, and I miss her for a lot of those things. Makes me tired just thinking about all that stuff. That's, that's quite an undertaking. Uh, it really proves that uh, women are pretty darn tough. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, do you have a sense of this? Just popped into my head. But of what was her deep motivation uh, that got her through? Because that's a lot of effort, right? I mean, um, incredible. What was the what was the driving force? Well, when you when you have parents who were born in slavery, and then you had to deal with Jim Crow, and then when they used to own a farm, and then when they moved to a different location. North Carolina, where we moved to our town, um, they were considered the slum of the town because we moved to a very middle-class town. The town had a, a college right nearby, and a lot of the professors were um, some black. Uh, some of the, and we had a black school and a, and a white school until they shut our black school down, and we had to uh, integrate. Um, so they were always seen as less than. Uh, they lived in the slum area of the town for a while until you know my grandmother was able to you know find and build a house and or get a house and move away from that area. So she always was motivated that she did not want 
her kids to have to go through a lot of what she's seen her mother have to go through. Um, my great grandmother, uh, my great grandmother Georgina was, um, a free slave that went to Philadelphia. And then also, uh, my great grandfather, um, uh, top is what we call them was basically a free slave, uh, from the South and watching them have to go through a lot of the uh, strife they had to go through on every day. She was motivated that she would not make sure her kids had to go through the same thing. So that was a driving force. She wanted to illustrate that you can do this without, without having anyone um, tell you you cannot. I mean, this lady was powerful, man. Like when I just put it this way, I would get stopped as a kid uh, when I was driving, and I would tell my grandmother, "Hey, the police stopped me." She would call the sheriff right away, and she, they would come to the house and, and they would apologize to my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> they would apologize to her saying, we're sorry. We didn't know that was your grandson. We didn't know who he was. So that was her driving force. She wanted to see us as human beings and as people who deserve the right to have, um, all the, uh, equity that anyone else should be able to have. So that was, I think, drive her driving force. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. It's breathtaking. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, those generations, because my grandmother uh, was probably in that same age range, and I think that they really did take everything far more seriously and direct. And I'm thinking that's pretty much what we need to do today. Yeah, most definitely. I think engagement and knowing the facts help matter. Um, but you always notice, we always notice, we always talk about this, is like, you know, we always say men are the head of the household, but if you go to most houses, you know the women control a lot of what happens in households. You know, if mom doesn't like it, if mom didn't appreciate it, it didn't happen, right? That was the way it worked. My grandmother, my grandfather made the money. My he she took his paycheck. She made sure that the kids got clothes on their back. Made sure they went to school. Made sure they had anything they needed, and that's what she did. You got to understand, my grandfather had a fourth year, fourth grade education. And coming from the fields and working in an aluminum plant uh, for 30 years was really tough on him. So she had to, you know, be very, very organized in what she did. So it was it was one of those things where she ran a tight ship. And if you if you got out of line, hey, you had you you got the wrath of my grandmother. You did not want it. <laughs> but I think what it ultimately did was it just taught me to be resilient and just to understand that you can't just put your head down and say war is me. You dust yourself off and you keep pushing. Yeah. So, all yeah. right, yeah. Also proving your point that women are the ones who who drive the revolutions, right? Um, uh, that you mentioned earlier. So, uh, thank you so much. That's an incredible story, Marcus. And I'm so I'm so honored that you shared that with us and shared it with our the community uh, here through KPOV. Um, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to uh, end our interview now. It's uh, so again, thank you. Can you just, Marcus, really quickly run through the uh, once one more time for folks the the forum when, etc. Yeah, I believe it's the 18th is when the forum is going to be. I think it's at noon through City Club. Uh, it's going to be an opportunity to talk about the history of Central Oregon. Uh, so uh, please come and listen uh, to the panelists and listen to a great discussion about some of the ways we could definitely start making changes here in Central Oregon. All right, thank you so much for joining us again, Marcus. We really appreciate. Appreciate you uh, coming on and taking your time and, and sharing your wisdom with uh, with us and our listeners. No worries. You guys have a great rest of the day and right. Thanks, uh, enjoy your Black History Month. You've been listening to a KPOV critical conversation. 
To hear more engaging interviews on important topics, please visit kpov.org slash critical dash conversations.